right, please be seated. Uh, as we get started this morning, uh, a couple of things that I'd like to say. Um, first, <laughs> this is sort of an experiment, what we're getting ready to do. Uh, this is going to be exciting for us. Uh, and let me explain what's going to happen here. We've been talking over the past several weeks, uh, 23 weeks, even before Pentecost, about the book of Acts. And we've come to what we saw last week being three primary lessons that have been learned from the book of Acts. The very first thing is that God has a plan to proclaim Jesus in every part of the world. That's sort of the main theme, really, of Acts, as we heard this morning, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as Prissy read for us. The second lesson that we learned from the book of Acts is that in the midst of serving God in this plan to proclaim Jesus, his followers may expect to struggle. But the third lesson that we learned is that we don't do any of this under our own power, and so that even in the midst of struggle, the plan goes forward, God is glorified as he triumphs because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, right? It makes sense. Good enough, right? Awesome. I'm glad that some of you were with me on that. It's fantastic. I know. So here's the, the thing that I'd like to do today. I was, I was struck uh, as, as Prissy was reading that passage for us from Acts chapter 1. You know, it's a passage that we've heard several times over the last number of weeks. Uh, some of you may be tired of it. We'll get over it. It's part of Scripture. <laughs> but that, I, love that, I love that last part, right? So Jesus, in, in chapter 8, he says, you're going to get empowered by the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to work, right? And then he ascends, and I love that these angels come down, and they... You know, like, what are you guys looking up, looking up, up there? You know, stop being so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You know, the angel says there at those last few verses of our passage from Acts this morning, get to work. Get your head out of the clouds and start doing what God wants you to do. I think that Jesus wants his church here in the year 2017, whether we're talking about the church in Destin or the church in New York City or Nashville or Orlando, I don't really care where. I think Jesus in 2017 wants his church to get busy and get to work. So we do have a job to do. We have a job to be witnesses. And, and I don't think that, that don't, I think that most people want to be witnesses. I think that most people want to be able to talk to people about Jesus. I think what happens is we don't know how, or we think that we don't know how, or we haven't been equipped to know how. So I'd like to spend our, our time this morning, again, it's a little bit of an experiment. I'm going to teach a little bit about testimony and giving testimony, and then uh, our willing victim, Eddie Grant, has uh, 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 volunteered himself with a minor amount of pastoral persuasion <laughs> to, be a, to be a part of our, our sermon time this morning. So what, I'm, what, we're, what I'd like for us to do <clears throat> is I'm going to teach a little bit, and then I'm going to ask Eddie a question. And Eddie's just going to respond to this question. He doesn't know what these questions are. But he's going to respond to these questions, and what I'm hoping to do is help us see in how asking ourselves this question and writing down the answers can help us to form a testimony, can help us to form something to use in giving witness. You know, it's not wrong for us to do two things, lean upon the power of the Holy Spirit to lead us in giving our testimony, and it's not wrong to be prepared to give, us, to give our testimony. Both are in Scripture. Both are required. So, Eddie, come on up. Come on up. Come on down, Eddie Grant. Uh, you're the next contestant on The Price is Right. Great to see you. 
Thanks for being a part of this. Yeah. I, I will say. Are you? Is your mic on? No, not yet. Okay. I will say I did not know this was the format. No. <laughs> yeah, well, I I actually switched it up on him between services even. So this is this is going to be fantastic, raw, unedited, unfiltered. This is not reality television. This is real life. Are you ready? All right. So good. Are we on? Hello. No. Are you on mute? Are you still muted? I might be. Yeah. I don't know how to work. University of Oklahoma graduate, folks. <laughs> how about thank, now? Thank you. Thank there you. There you are. Yeah. <laughs> high five. High five. With a little help from my friend. Yeah, that's right. So first off, any witness, any testimony has got to take two uh, particular aspects. On the one hand, there is absolutely this objective truth that has to be revealed, that has to be communicated through witness, through testimony. And when I mean objective truth, I'm talking about those things from God's Word, from Scripture, that are absolutely true, whether anybody would believe them or not, they are objectively true simply because they're true. I don't particularly, when I was uh, uh, five years old, I didn't particularly believe in the law of gravity until I fell out of a chair tree and snapped my leg like a twig, right? I didn't believe in it, but that didn't make it any less true. So when we give testimony, we give witness, we have to recognize that a major component of that is the objective part that's true, that we have to lean upon. That doesn't ever change. We recognize, though, on the other hand, that there is a subjective part to giving witness. What this objective truth does to life, how the experience of this uh, objective truth has changed my life, for example. So it, it seems to me as, as we look in the book of Acts, uh, our culture, our world is far more like the city of Athens than it is the city of Jerusalem in Paul's day. Surrounded by idols, surrounded by uh, worship of, of different objects or different things. And so it seems to me as though that perhaps the best place to begin with a giving of witness is with the objective truth of a creator, as Paul did in Athens, beginning with this objective truth that there is a God who made all things, and because he made all things, he gets to set the rules and the standards for his creation. So, Eddie, in your life experience, how did you come to this realization? How does it change your life that there is a creator? <laughs> That's not helping. <laughs> So, over the years, we all learn to understand authority, right? As a small child, you've got parents, and then as a student, you learn to uh, trust your teachers, or if you don't, you get to talk to the principal and or superintendent, uh, or others who are in authority. But... As, as you go further out, I guess, you, you get a job and you understand that you have a boss. There's always somebody in authority. But all of these people have to answer to someone as well. And it would seem to me that if you can figure out who is the highest authority, 
and you are doing your best to please that highest authority, then things will go best for you. <laughs> um, and, and you will be at peace. So over the years, I guess, um, many things have happened to me in my past. I won't go into all of those, but many things have led me to that point to where understanding that God is in control, that he does have a plan not only for his church, but for each individual member of his church and each one of his individual creations. And because he has a plan, it is in our best interest as individuals and as a church to be on board with that plan. And so I'm trying to do my best no, to fantastic. do that. I'm not yeah. always good yeah. at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not always good at it, but I recognize the authority. And so, I so think for that Eddie, all the difference. If, so, if Eddie were to be asked the question, how do you know that God exists? Eddie is replying by basically leaning into his experience of lines of authority. If there is something that exists, there's an ultimate authority above that, right? So one of the things that we have to think about is if we're challenged or asked, how do you know that God exists? For a non-believer, for a secular worldview, it's not enough for us to respond, the Bible told me so. It's true, but we have to be able to talk in terms that they can hear and understand, whether we talk about lines of authority, whether we talk, talk about the beauty of creation. Scripture does say that the beauty of creation, the creation itself, reveals the power and the existence of God. You take that objective truth and you subjectively communicate it. Does that make sense? We good? Now, the next sort of objective fact that we have to deal with is the bad news of sin. The bad news of sin. We read in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is the violation of God's commands, the violation of His law. Sin is not living up to God's intended purposes for us. And, and I think we have to recognize a couple of things regarding sin. <clears throat> because people will, will object and say, I can't be held liable to violating a law that I didn't know existed. <laughs> That's an objection. And I think we have to realize a couple of things. We must first ask the question, quite frankly, what about the laws that you do know are in existence? What about those laws? Have you violated them? More to the point, have you been able to live up to your own standard of righteousness? You see, we're utter failures, we humans, because we're sinners built to sin, born into sin. We are utter failures at fulfilling our own standards of righteousness. Ever, anybody ever done something that they thought that they would never do? <laughs> Don't lie. Come on. Why am I the only one with my hand up? <laughs> yeah. This is on videotape even. Yeah. <laughs> Rob's not sure. He's like, I don't know. Yeah, but the reality is, is that we all violate our own standard of righteousness. And so, yeah, it could be true that we can't be held liable to a law we don't know, but how are we with the laws we do know? We break them all the time. We break them all the time. Second, we must recognize that there's evidence of God's existence and eternal power all around us in His creation. And if there is a creator, He gets to set the rules and the roles for His creation. If you've ever been a member of a family, whether as a child or as an adult, whether you've been the kid or a parent, you know that the parents are the ones who set the rules and the regulations for that family. And when those rules and regulations, when those roles are broken, 
there is accountability, right? And if there isn't accountability, everything descends into absolute utter chaos. So it makes sense on a logical uh, factor that, that if there is indeed a creator, then it is his right to hold his creation accountable. And third, our sin is found in exchanging the right worship of the creator for the wrongful worship of those bits of creation in which we attempt to find our meaning, our purpose, our value and fulfillment. Things are not well, things aren't right because of sin and the broken relationships between God and his creation that comes with it. This broken relationship renders us in the here and now dead, and it makes us in the future eternally dead because death is what sin earns. St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6 that the wages of sin is death. Wages are payment. They are what one is due after service. Well, if you render the service of sin, what is your due is death. So, Eddie, here's the question. How did you, and I'm not, not looking for you to tell us any specific details of your sin, but how did you come to recognize your sin as sin? That could be a long story. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the Golden Corral is no longer in operation here. And I didn't so, know that. Yeah, they, they shut it down, so we don't have to worry about beating the Baptists to the old <laughs> feed trough. So what about the Methodists? They get out like 10 minutes earlier, right? But or nobody's going to Golden Corral yeah, now. Go on there, sorry, right sorry, sorry, sorry. I digress. <laughs> All right, what was the question again? I don't know. I've got to look at my note card. <laughs> How did you come to recognize your sin? Oh, Okay, so going all the way back to the beginning, I um, was in church in the early days uh, when I was a youngster, as long as I can remember uh, my school school years. Um, the Baptists, I don't know if you know, the Baptists give these uh, little pens for uh, perfect attendance. So three months, six months, a year, two years, three years, four years, five years. I had a string here of wow. like, 10 or 12 years. So my parents took me to church, whether I wanted to go or not. They took me to church, and I heard all the Bible stories that were out there. Um, I will say I, I must have had some understanding <laughs> uh, at the age of 12. I gave my life to Christ. Uh, but I would also say to you, and I confess to you, that I'm weak uh, because it didn't take long for me to fall away from that either. Uh, as a, a young man, I succumbed, well, not even a young man, probably as a teenager before, these were junior high, I guess, succumbed to bad choices and a poor choice of friends and uh, got into some different things. But the came back to God. I had some understanding again, came back to God in my high school days, had some friends who would walk alongside me like my parents had walked alongside me before, to help me understand about choices and, and uh, recognizing what's right from wrong. Um, I went off to college and, again, didn't understand and made some well, bad choices, and then later on ran into a, a woman whom I have since married and been married to for 30 years, who now walks alongside me and helped me understand those things. Coming to understand sin, um, I'm not sure I could tell you exactly where along those, that, that path that that would occur. 
clearly, I did not have a full appreciation for the consequences because I would fall again into those and not uh, do the right things and make bad choices. So I think a full appreciation for that finally came when Sonia and I were in regular Bible studies in the Word and understanding, beginning to understand what's in the Word and what God had, a, a, that God had a plan for us. I'm not sure that's not exactly one of the, the children's stories that you hear growing up, right? That God's got a plan for you. Uh, maybe it is, but maybe I wasn't listening that day. You certainly <laughs> didn't miss that day. <laughs> Uh, no, I didn't miss that day, but I, I might not have been listening. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I think that doesn't, didn't come to me, the full appreciation for sin and the consequences, until I was in the Word on a regular basis. Yeah. And, and I think that is one of the reasons why I think that is so important to me and why I continue to stay in the Word. Again, because I'm weak. Although I have someone to walk alongside me and I have an entire family of people to keep out, keep watch for me, help me. Uh, I know I'm weak and I know I make bad choices if I am not reminded regularly. And so being in the Word on a regular basis is, is important. It can be, it can be difficult to, to talk about this objective reality of sin. We all recognize that we sin, but it can be difficult to discuss it subjectively. When did I experience it? Because it could have been a period of time over a period of time that the Holy Spirit continues to be at work revealing sin in us. It never really stops. But it could have been for us, uh, and perhaps it's easier to answer that particular question if you have that uh, uh, Pauline experience on the Damascus Road, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're suddenly changed. But this is one of those things that we've talked about where every one of us has a story. Every one of us has a testimony to God's grace in Jesus Christ in our lives. Your answer is not going to be what Eddie's answer is, but your answer will be what the person who's hearing you needs to hear because the Holy Spirit is using you. So the, there's this bad news, right? The bad news is that we're sinners. The bad news is that we're, we're dead in our sins. But there is uh, really good news because in that same chapter of Romans chapter 6 where we read the wages of sin is death, we also read but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's turn that corner together as we, as we think about the objective witness to Jesus, recognition there is creator, recognition that there is sin. Let's talk about now there is a redeemer, there is a savior. You see, God the creator loves his creation, and he loves those within his creation. As sinful as we human beings may be, God loves us us. God, having given life to his creation, desires to give eternal life by redeeming sinful men and sinful women out of death and into life. And so God does what we cannot. He does what is necessary to repair the broken relationship by forgiving sin and by making the dead alive. He does this in Jesus. Probably one of the most well-known and also, some of the most wonderful words from Scripture we hear are John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. That single sentence both reveals to us the depth of God's love and the active giving nature of God's love. 
His love for his creation is such that he desires not the death of sinners, but their redemption. And so God sends Jesus. He takes the initiative. And in Jesus, then, God gives to sinners who will receive the gifts of repentance, forgiveness, and life. Folks, Jesus changes everything. We read that the wages of sin is death, and we read that Jesus is the one who takes that death upon himself. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, Eddie, how did you hear about Jesus? Well, as I indicated uh, earlier, <laughs> several <laughs> years in, uh, well, actually, first the Methodist Church and then the Baptist Church, but uh, all those years of Sunday school uh, helped me to understand Jesus, that he was out there, and that I needed him as my Savior. Um, I think the difference that came to me later in life and understanding that there's two parts to that. It's not just that I need him as Savior, but once I've accepted him as Savior, I need to also accept him as Lord of my life. And that was the part, I think, that was missing for me. Uh, again, until I was able to get into the Word and understand what his plan was and what he wanted from his people and his creation, I, I don't think that was clear to me. And it took me some number of years after accepting him as Savior in order to be able to call him Lord. Can you identify a particular moment in your life or in time where the Holy Spirit light bulb went off and you kind of realized, okay, this is the way I got to go? Not that I'm perfect, but... I don't know that I can. Mm -hmm. I don't think I have one of those road to Damascus moments where I can put that together and say, on this day, everything clicked for me. Yeah. Uh, it's been a build over the years. Uh, and again, I go back to the Word. Uh, it, I think it's still building. Yeah. It's something I'm still learning, something I'm still trying to understand. Um, and that's why I've got to stay in the Word. Yeah. And how many of us connect, can connect with Eddie's, Eddie's story there? And over time, it's a slow growth, slow build. And I, my story isn't much different than Eddie's. I was raised in a Christian home, but it really, and I, went, I didn't have quite the perfect attendance that you did because I knew how to fake being sick. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, raised in a Christian home and exposed to the gospel, <laughs> exposed to the Bible, the scriptures, I knew who God was. I knew the thing called sin. It was the matter of Jesus being Lord and Savior. But the, the, I, I would say, and my mom gets very upset when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway because I'm 40. I'm a man. <laughs> you can say that. I've I never grown that. up. I know. That's right. And I don't <laughs> intend to. That's right. <laughs> but there was a moment in time when I was 22 years old. I was in my second senior year at Oklahoma State University in Stillwater, Oklahoma, where the light bulb went on, right? And so, again, coming back to understanding Jesus, uh, the one who uh, was made sin for our sake, that in him we might become the righteousness of God, it may take time. It may be a slow burn. It may be like a light bulb. It may be a switch. But we have to be able to communicate, communicate that to people. We have to be able to say to someone, and we also, I think, have to take uh, some 
uh, rest in the notion that just because a person doesn't respond to your witness the very first moment doesn't mean that you have not begun the slow burn that the Holy Spirit will use to complete that. Possibly using other people. Absolutely. Yeah, possibly using even other people. Jesus then, sent by God, does what we cannot do. He dies our death. He receives our punishment so that we might be forgiven in his name, that we might become righteous, restored to a relationship with God. And here's probably what might be the hardest thing to accept. All that we must do to be saved is receive the gift. We're raised in a culture that tells us we have to earn it. We're raised in a culture that tells us to the American dream is about getting out of bed in the morning, putting on your boots, working hard, achieving, succeeding. You're Chuck Taylors, man. Boots. You got boots, boots on. I got Chucks. <laughs> but we're, we're raised in this culture that, that really me says, if it is to be, then it's up to me. That's not the way God works. It's so simple that it can be hard to accept. But all we must do is receive. Like any gift, the gift of life in Jesus can only be simply received. This is how St. Paul puts it. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. There's nothing in that about being good enough to get it. It's about confessing, believing, and receiving. And this can be hard. This objective truth can be hard for people to accept, to understand. But having heard the bad news of, of sin and judgment, having heard the good news of Jesus Christ and life in His name, there are questions that must be asked and answered. At some point, you have to be willing to have the hard conversation. Do you acknowledge that you're a sinner? Do you believe, do you trust that Jesus died upon the cross for your sin and that he rose again to give you life? Do you accept the gift of God's love to you and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior? The truth of Scripture is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that means you, and that means me, that means the people we will encounter, those that we might share Jesus with. So, Eddie, I have one last question for you. What happened to you, man? <laughs> no, I mean, the question really is, is to state it more seriously. What happened to you? What difference does Jesus make in your life? What dif difference has Jesus made in your life? Well, anybody that's ever heard me say much of anything would, would know that the answer to that is peace. Mm. Uh, makes all the difference on a day-to-day -day basis. When I think back to those days, particularly the early days of uh, college. I also had a second senior year, but at boy. Oklahoma University. Hey, Oklahoma. <laughs> got that in common. Don't yeah, we angry. do have that, got that in common. common. <laughs> second senior years in the state of Oklahoma are apparently are common things. Yeah, I, I managed to cram four years into five. You're good, yeah. Uh, and had a good time doing it, which was it's part of the difficulty of... <laughs> And or, Ray, Ray or, Newman knows it's hard work to do that. <laughs> six! <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> There's a lot of people that go to school for six years, Ray. They're called doctors. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry. What difference does Jesus make, Eddie? Peace. So, yeah, peace in, in this life, peace on this earth. We're all 
promised peace. That's what God wants for us. That's what Jesus told us he had in mind for us. My peace I leave with you. When he left us here, he wanted us to have peace on this earth. I would submit to you that people who have not yet recognized Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior don't have that peace. That it takes recognizing sin, recognizing that you need this Savior, recognizing that He is Lord and you need to be doing the right thing, and you need to understand what that right thing is, hence being in the Word, but you need to be able to do those things, continue to do those things, to have peace in your head and peace in your heart. But with those things, I think we can have. I know that, again, that's the important thing for me is peace here today on this earth, not waiting for peace when the new heaven and the new earth descend and take over, but peace today. Um, that makes all the difference, understanding and accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior and having peace here on this earth. Yeah. Praise the Lord. So when we talk about witness, we talk about giving witness, we're talking about this mixture of, of these two things. We're talking about the objective truth with the subjective experience of that objective truth, ultimately being able to answer the question, what difference does it make? And so what we've heard from Eddie, uh, he's answered these questions. I, I've led him in answering these questions, but that really is, he could take these four questions, write out his answers, prepare a statement. This is how I know that there is a God. This is how I know that there is sin. This is what Jesus does, and this is what difference it's made in my life. It's a really easy way for us to develop a witness, to develop a testimony. That's an easy way for us to be prepared so that we can give a reason or give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason of the hope that is in you. We all have our personal stories. Every single one of us has a testimony about what Jesus has done in us, and it's all based on who God is as creator, what sin is as defined by Scripture, the extreme gift of love in Jesus Christ, and salvation that can be received as a gift of grace. So as we seek to be a church that glorifies God by blessing people with gospel-centered ministries, one of the gospel-centered ministries that we each can develop as individuals is the ability to give witness on an individual basis, on a one-on-one -on -one, uh, manner. So I'm going to challenge you and encourage you today as we come to a close to take time to prayerfully think about it. Even write out your testimony and your responses to these kinds of questions so that you are prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you so that we would get to work like the angel told the disciples in Acts chapter 1. And we've said these things to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Holy and gracious God, we